Craig Brown and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching, especially at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It will be the text used for the sermon at First Free Methodist Church in Seattle on September 11, 2022. It's the first in a series of messages called Back to Basics as we explore the essentials of the Christian life. During the series, we're exploring some of the most foundational and elemental scriptures that, that form uh, Christian spirituality and the life of those who follow Jesus. And so we turn during this first week to a passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 4 that's rather well known. It begins with, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, for the time being, let's just set aside the first phrase, beloved, let us love one another. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. For right now, let's talk about this notion of how love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is from God. And here we learn the source of love, that the source of love is God himself. Now, in the New Testament, uh, there are three different words for love that are used in the Greek language. There are actually four different words in Greek. One of them is never used in the New Testament, so there's only three uh, words for love used in the New Testament. The word used predominantly throughout John's writings is the word agape. Uh, it's the, the noun form of a verb, agapao, and uh, we oftentimes refer to it as some form of divine love or a love that's reserved somehow actually for God, where one of the other Greek words for love, phileo, is often used in reference to the love between human beings. I do have to say this is actually a fallacy. Uh, with just a little bit of research and understanding kind of the, uh, the, the origin of these words, by the time the New Testament comes around, the, the word for love in agape and the word of for love in uh, uh, phileo are synonymous. They're, they're very interchangeable, used throughout Greek literature and especially even in the New Testament. Agape is not the noun for love that's reserved for God. Uh, it's often used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, out of Hebrew into Greek, called the Septuagint. And the word for love, agape, is used in a variety of occasions in the Septuagint to refer to the love between human beings. So it's not necessarily a divine love. Uh, agape has a certain virtue in it. But that virtue that we think of it in, in terms of a divine sort of love is often understood through the lens of how John uses it in many of his writings, not only in the Gospel of John, but even in these epistles. And for John... The theology around love and the ethics of love are often intertwined. It's very difficult to separate the concept of love from the actions that go with love, and we're going to talk a lot more about that in just a minute. What John says in, in these opening verses of the passage we're looking at today is that everyone who loves has been both born of God and knows God. And, and I want you to notice the tense of the verb there. It's in the aorist tense. It's uh, referring to a past action. It's a snapshot of action in the past. 
And so it's, it's a way in which John is trying to raise up the fact that every, if love is from God, everyone who loves has been born of God, not will be born of God or is born of God. It has been born of God and knows God. These two things, being born of God, knowing God, are kind of the core characteristics of what it means for us to understand this God of love. That this divine love, this love that comes from God, is liberally offered and liberally understood. It's offered to many and all. And so human loving, in in effect, in every form, whether human beings know it or not, is a reflection of this divine attribute. So even if uh, someone is a, an, an atheist for all intents and purposes, the love that they express to other human beings, we would claim has its source in God. The next verse, John then flips it over into the contrary. He says in verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so what we're hearing in this text is a a little bit about how um, there's a disconnection between the claim to know God but yet not loving. That, that's impossible, according to John. The one who does not love does not know God. So this experience of love and the welcoming of love has something to do with the knowing of who God is. And so if, we, if we're not engaged in that work, we really don't know God. We don't know God's character or purpose. And then he concludes in verse 8 by saying, because God is love. Now, this does not mean that love and God are synonymous and interchangeable. Oftentimes, I've heard it described that love is a a virtue or an ethic, and so wherever love is, God is, and that actually God isn't person. God is actually this ethic or this virtue of love, And, and I have concerns about that and questions about that specifically because of this text. What we're going to learn in this text is that for John, love is always embodied in behavior. It always is a conscious choice that love has will to it. In this case, God is the one with will. So love is not some kind of disembodied virtue or ethic. You can't really reverse the sentence around where it says God is love. You can't say that love is God. That doesn't really work very well. And it really opens up, I think, the key passageway to us for this text, that love's origin is with God, and it's a perfect reflection of God's nature. It's infinite. It's all-encompassing. It is everywhere. And we understand God's justice, mercy, truth, power, and even sovereignty through this kind of lens, through this lens of love. Chief among all of the virtues that we could use to describe God, according to John, is love, and everything else is understood through that lens. The the great Methodist uh, hymn writer Charles Wesley describes it in a hymn he wrote back in the 18th century called The Son of Righteousness on Me, and he writes the stanza this way. He says, Lame as I am, I take the prey, hell, earth, and sin with ease o'ercome. I leap for joy, pursue my way, as a bounding heart, fly home to all eternity to prove thy nature, and thy name is love. Uh, Wesley understood this so well in the writing of his hymns that this infinite love of God is expressed everywhere. It's the most essential characteristic of who God is, and it is something that I think we often do not center enough 
in. Our focus oftentimes is drawn toward rules and regulations and legalisms and justice, when in fact John is telling us, no, something about God is vastly more important for us to dwell on and concentrate in, and that is the love of God. The text goes on to then describe how this love is revealed. And this is one of the chief ways I believe that love is not just a, an ethic or a virtue and that some people describe it as God and some people don't. There, there's a willfulness, there's a choice, a conscious movement about this love. And so in verse 9, we begin to see kind of the, the qualifying nature of this love. It's an action. It's behavior. If we look carefully at verse 9, it says, By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. There's a a sense in which God is very purposeful in the delivering of this love or the message of this love through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the expression of that love. If God is the source of love, Jesus is the expression of it. So in verses 9 and 10, the last two verses we're looking at in this passage of Scripture, we see another Greek verb used a few times. That's apostello. And apostello is used for the word sent. You'll see it in verse 9. It says, by this the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent, that's the word apostello, into the world. And then in verse 10, we read it again, but that he, God, also, we also ought to love one another. There's this sense in which that God sent his son, it says in that verse, to be the propitiation for our sins. So that word for sent occurs two different times. Apostello is an important word. We get our word apostle from it. It means to be sent with a purpose, to sent with a commission, if you will. So there's deliberation, there's action, there's intent, there's purpose, there's meaning to this. This is why love is not God, but God is love. God as person is and embodies love. Now, it sounds like I might be splitting a theological thread here, but it's really important, I think, that we grasp this, that that Jesus is sent to reveal that love to us. So the action of God in Jesus makes possible our living in God. It's a cycle of actions. Even in verse 10, it's restated. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. Love is an action. And it's not motivated by reciprocation. God doesn't love us so that it will cause us to love God. It doesn't work that way. God loves and that act of love causes or moves God to action on our part. It's like the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans and that God God uh, reveals this love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it talks about how in verse uh, verse 10 that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's kind of a big gnarly word when we see propitiation. Some translations call it expiation. Um, it best translated as atoning sacrifice. That really doesn't help in terms of understanding its meaning and its fullness. This is not a word that's used very often in the New Testament. It's only used in one other place besides here. There's a price to be paid for this loving. Love is expressed in giving. 
It's an action. It's a sacrificial movement on God's part. And, and this opens up another key passageway for us, that, that love is vastly something beyond sentimentality, but it actually drives towards sacrificial action. Love, as we all know, is so misused in our language and especially in American culture. I love that food. I love that movie. I love that thing. For Christians, uh, those references to love actually are, are a devaluing of what this is really about. For Christians, love is embodied in action. It acts first for the sake of the other. So God acts in Jesus out of love for us, not so that God will earn something for us or buy something from us, but because God is love. God, love as a very thing is self-giving. So God gives that love in the hope that we will respond to it. So what I'm saying is this, is that love is an action that's taken for the benefit of the other. So finally, we can wind our way back to verse 7, the beginning of this text. Beloved, let us love one another. We're really, we end at the beginning in this text. The, the community to which John is writing this epistle apparently lacked the ethic and action of love. Thus, his exhortation for them to love one another. The exhortation to love others has to be grounded in how and why God loved us. Because if we're to love others, then that means that we're to love others in a way that, that is very much a reflection of how God has loved us. And God's love for us is expressed in Jesus Christ. And what is it that Jesus Christ did for us? Lived in our midst, healed, taught, was killed, buried, and resurrected. So there's a, a narrative about Jesus that John, in some ways, is asking us as the church to embody what is not asked for here is admiration or mutual affection. The community of Jesus is not characterized just simply by how they feel toward one another. The community of Jesus is characterized by the, the actionable, deliberate sacrifice for others. It is the very opposite in the sense of consuming the love of God as a consumer would, but instead receiving that love and receiving it with the understanding and expectation that then we are to offer that same cosmic, infinite love to others. Thus, our love of God and others takes the form of action, just as God has taken action for us. Imagine what it would be like for God to simply feel love toward us, but then not act upon it. It's at the heart of a Christian understanding of love is that we love not because we're trying to earn something or get something or buy something. We do the work of love because we believe it is in every way a reflection of the divine heart, the heart of Jesus. Love is not reciprocal. It is not earned. It is not an equation. I'd invite you to go reference Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about this very truth. Love at its core is a sacrificial action that we take on behalf of others simply out of our affection, our love for them. And that really is the final key passageway for us here, that the love of God 
requires action on our part. It can't be stated enough that in John's exhortation for people to love one another, he's not just asking them to have an emotional feeling of love toward each other. He's not just telling them to get along. He's telling them that they need to love each other in the way that God has loved us, a sacrificial love that's embodied in action. So John, in some ways, is conflating God's love for us and our love for others because he's hoping that we begin to love others the same way God loved us. It's, it's what is commonly called uh, uh, in, in the world of understanding a little bit of how this uh, Greek language works, the subjective and the objective. The subjective is that there is the love of God. In other words, the love that comes from God, and then there's the love of God, uh, the action on our part that we are engaged in the loving of God. It's good to do this, love in the flesh, embodied gifts given of our time, our energy, our finances, of who we are, our energy and effort. You see, if the feeling of love in us doesn't shift towards sacrificial action, then it's really not love. The love of God requires action on our part. And it's essential to understanding this text that this notion of love, that love does something. It is just not felt. Notice how these things are framed throughout this text. Verse 8, the one who does not love. It's almost implied in these these, uh, words that love is a thing that is done, not something that is felt. That's it for this week. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on News on the, the menu and you see in the top right and then drop down to Podcast. And then you can click on the specific episode and leave a comment for me. I'd love to engage with you. Also visit our church's website, ffmc.org, First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.